Book genres are so 20th century. No, 19th century. They made sense when each book needed to be placed on a physical shelf so people could find similar titles. But what if you want to find a vampire romance, a post-apocalyptic comedy, a Western mystery where the main character is an android, a World War II adventure with magic, or a story based around a character of any race or religion or gender, set in any time or any place you choose. Scribble now brings searching for books into the 21st century, even if you're looking for one set in the 17th. Find the books you'll love by selecting the story elements that matter to you at scribble.com. You'll never look for books the same way again. Search by story elements only at scribble.com. That's S-C-R-I-B-L dot com. Welcome to my novel, False Alarm, a free serialized audiobook read by me, the author, Heather Stallings. Music by Mark Bruce. This book contains content best suited for adults. Please visit my website, heatherstallings.com. Chapter 10 On Christmas Eve morning, James was writing his master's thesis at the reception desk. He'd cut his hair into a J.P. buzz and wore a tie with a dizzying pattern of baseballs that might have been malt balls. His tan and rose-toned sports coat was complete with a neatly folded pocket hanky in a burgundy not found in nature. Kate stopped to stare. The ensemble had the impact of paisley worn with plaid, but somehow it worked. Where had he gotten the confidence to clash? Nice combo. It was all she could think of to say. Kate clutched Axel Staperfeen's business card in her hand. Everything was happening in Fast Forward, and she didn't recognize the landmarks. She knew it wasn't right that she felt she needed to see Pedro, and it might be a good idea for her to talk to someone about it. But really, it was Peter the Red who needed professional help, not her. James was still blushing to his ears over Kate's wardrobe compliment. She realized that she'd never seen his ears. They came to points on the tops, with small tufts of white hair. Your eight o'clock interview is waiting in your office, he boomed. His on-the-air voice had extended into conversation. My what? Kate asked. I took the liberty of arranging an interview for my replacement, James said, on the verge of a sneeze. Wow, that didn't take long, Kate thought. James apparently had had a much easier time than she did convincing the boys that he was ready for sales. Hold my calls, please, she told James, who was no longer at the reception station. She was talking to herself again, just a crazy office wife, muttering under her breath about a bunch of dysfunctional husbands who left her at home to manage the kids. Kate entered her office, musing that a cape therapist might be just what the doctor ordered for Peter the Red. But the urge to call Axel would have to wait until she could get this young woman out of her office. Kate introduced herself and practiced being pleasant. There were no Scrooges here on Christmas Eve, she told herself. I was just interviewed by an elf, Heidi Oliver said, handing Kate her resume. 
She was about 20, with short crop blonde hair that fit her pretty head like a cap, and she had impossibly large breasts under a fitted lavender suit. The tiny heart-shaped buttons were about to burst. That was just Kingsley, Kate assured her as she skimmed the resume. She winced. Kingsley's costume was indeed embarrassing, a polyester green shirt with a faux fur collar, gold tights, and a red felt hat. Heidi had two years' experience as a receptionist. Her former boss was a plastic surgeon, she told Kate. She'd had an affair with him. He was trying to make me into Barbie. I see, Kate said. She cleared her throat. I mean, I don't see. I understand. He turned out to be a jerk. Never trust a candidate who puts down her former employer, Kate recalled from some manual. But at least Heidi was honest. And she enunciated carefully, putting emphasis on certain words. The athletes would enjoy that. I'll need to check references, Kate said, and verify this salary. They'll probably just want to say I worked there, Heidi said. You know how stiff they are these days. But you can call Michael, Dr. Austin, I mean. I have a letter from him. I'll bet you do. Heidi pushed a piece of paper across the desk to Kate. Her fingernails were stubby and painted bubblegum pink. Kate read the letter. On his engraved stationery, Dr. Austin gushed about Heidi's pleasant personality and organizational skills. This looks good, Kate said, setting the letter on her desk. I guess you can start Wednesday, subject to my reference check. Kate slid open her drawer and pulled out some forms for Heidi to complete. Do you have any questions for me? Heidi was chewing gum. Is there, like, a dress code here? Kate hesitated. Not really. We all just use our best judgment and dress for business. Like what you're wearing. Right, Kate said, pained that her outfit seemed so conservative. The above-the-knee black skirt and the aubergine blouse was one of her least conservative looks. She tossed her closet the night before looking for something hip to wear for her meeting with Randy Nestor. Heidi's lip gloss caught the fluorescent office light. Kate wondered whether Sandy would find Heidi attractive. There were probably many of these Barbies at his law firm. What would he say if she felt sorry for him, that he was so stressed and offered to get him off under his desk? Would that be all it took for someone to ask? She thought of the Gold Rush cheerleaders fawning over Pedro. Could she handle that much competition? Kate decided to punish her. Let's do a real interview question, shall we? She said, pressing her fingertips together. If you could improve anything about yourself, what would it be? This one was the best, Kate thought, because an arrogant, potentially team-destructive candidate would claim no flaws, while a weaker candidate might give away a career-limiting deficiency, like illiteracy. The trick was to use the weakness to your advantage and say something like, I'm a perfectionist and have a hard time letting go of tasks, which bosses loved. Heidi rocked in her chair, thinking, her mouth in a tight pink line, It wouldn't be my breasts or my glutes, she said with certainty. They're already enhanced. An hour later, Kate finished the office tour with Heidi, less a tour than a bodyguard mission, with Kate shielding Heidi from the gawking boys. Exhausted, Kate returned to her desk and called Axel Staperfeen. As the phone rang several times, and it seemed that he wasn't going to pick up, she adopted a strategy to ensure a quick callback. Anger. She didn't appreciate the strange card left on her windshield. It had upset her husband. 
She wasn't the type of woman who would call phone numbers from cards left on her car, like the ones for dating services. An answering machine picked up, a hollow computer-generated voice, which was exactly as she remembered the bearded man's voice, requested that she leave a message, of any length, it said. Kate liked he'd offered any length. It suggested a propensity to listen, a likelihood to understand and commiserate. Still, she was determined to sound angry. The machine chirped and Kate let him have it. This is Kate McCabe. You left your card on my windshield at the top of Castro Street, and I want to know what this is all about. I expect a return phone call. She left her number and hung up. As Kate drove across the Golden Gate Bridge to Randy Nestor's office, she decided she needed to think like a man. She needed to think like J.P., who would never have thumbed through a color chart and pulled 13 outfits from his closet, finally settling on the aubergine. J.P. would not be breathless, sleepless, caffeine-deprived, with lipstick on his teeth. He would not practice his speech. He'd intend to shoot from the hip, if intending at all, He would sing along with Guns and Roses and not consider all the ways that Randy Nestor might humiliate him. The day was blustery and the bridge creaked and Kate considered, as she always did when driving across the Golden Gate Bridge, what the poor souls had been thinking as they jumped to their deaths. It was a brave thing but cowardly at the same time. Last week, when she'd crossed the bridge, a hooded man was standing on the edge and traffic had sat for hours. I hope he jumps, some woman, terribly late for work, said over the radio. Kate hit the speed dial for Lonnie's autos in Saramonte. Lonnie, please, Kate said, rolling down her window, thinking that she was really hungry. It's Kate McCabe. She was making good time, too good. She needed a detour. She needed McDonald's. Sandy had told her she would never eat a Big Mac again, but while nursing... There was never a peckish hunger. What she really wanted was a steak. No Big Mac, my ass, she said to Lonnie's hold music as she took the next exit. Sandy would move into the firehouse, and she would stop nursing. It might be her last Big Mac then, and her last baby. She would be a woman past childbearing and junk food. She would savor the final moments, the hamburger relish, and the pink baby feet. Merry Christmas, Katie, Lonnie said as he came on the line. I expected a call from you, seeing it's Christmas Eve and all. Kate pulled into the drive through lane and idled behind a pickup. The burger choices were numbered, packaged for her convenience. You know me, Kate said to Lonnie. I need a red Corvette with all the trimmings, delivered for Christmas. Corvette? You heard right. Haven't asked for that one in a while. Tell you what, he chuckled. I can get you one in a few days. You won't have it under the tree, though. Can I help you? The voice box on the display menu had sensed her presence. Big Mac, please. You're going to have to speak directly into the box, ma'am. Big Mac, Kate said louder, and a Diet Coke. You want seat warmers? Lonnie asked. This one's got em. I can take em out. The athletes loved seat warmers which worked better on a date than running out of gas. Kate had to give them credit for multitasking. You could seduce a date and warm up at the same time. Kate and Kingsley had taken Georgie Porsche to dinner, and he'd insisted on driving Kate home in his new SL. 
As they approached the freeway exit, her bottom began to heat up, becoming so unbearable that she squirmed in her seat. It was in no way intended to look erotic, but probably did. She was so embarrassed when Georgie smiled at her, his soul patched like a mistake under his lip, that she'd leapt from the car as he'd slowed down at the first stoplight off the exit. She'd cabbed at home, and when she'd examined her buns in the mirror, they were still pink. It was a dirty, dirty way to get into a woman's pants, but probably effective in certain situations. Better make it dual control, Kate said, and no onions, she shouted at the box. JP would eat onions before a meeting, but she would draw the line. Would you like fries with that? Do you want ABS, DVX, spoiler, neon trim, and the warranty extension? That's extra. We can cherry dip it, too. And what about the stereo, small or large? A large, Kate said. How about a Happy Meal? Comes with a Batman squeaky toy. Fine, Kate said. Give me the works. At one minute to noon, Kate sat in Nestor's parking lot with a half Big Mac. Now she really felt queasy. It wasn't as good as she had imagined it to be. Nestor's mouthwash blue glass building loomed like a mirage against the olive tree backdrop. There seemed to be no doors or windows, or maybe it was all windows. Kate was determined not to be early. She checked her voicemail. Yes, this is Axel Staperfine returning your call. I'm traveling this week, but next week I have an opening Tuesday at noon. He sounded strong, but feminine. A good foot rub, Kate thought. He was probably gay. What would Peter the Red think of a gay therapist? He probably wouldn't even notice. He might even dig the cape. I'm rather booked for the next few weeks, Axel went on, and I'm sorry, but I don't do phone consultations. Let's plan on that unless I hear from you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye? Was she crazy? Was she absolutely out of her mind, or was she punching it into her calendar? Ms. McCabe! Randy Nestor was on his feet, his golden arms outstretched. His office had a shag carpet like a backyard gone too long. Another love fest, Kate thought grumpily. His tan, glowing face was peeling from his infamous helicopter skiing, and his compact body looked fit in a powder blue polo shirt. He wore crisply pressed cords and no socks or shoes. She tried not to look. He was barefoot. The two tall, rangy men who stood when she entered were also barefoot. One of them she recognized as Reggie Adams, a big bat of Arizona about to turn pro. He was devilishly handsome and already a notorious rogue, dating female rappers and frequenting the pages of Sports Illustrated with his six-pack of stomach muscle and starved cheekbones. Black as coal, her mother called him. He wore lime green pants, a sherbet orange paisley shirt, and a tangle of chains around his neck. Golf clothes. At Sports Financial, they would mouth those words to each other when the clients arrived at the office wearing such combos. The other guy was Pedro. Kate's lips parted to speak, but Pedro put his finger to his lips, all business. His outfit, to say the least, was more subtle than Reggie's, khakis and a black button-down shirt. Kate held out her hand to Nestor, who still had his arms outstretched. Kate McCabe, I want you to meet Reggie Adams and Pedro Aragus. Reggie and Pedro took turns shaking her hand. Hello, hello, Kate said, not looking at their feet, feeling like a woman reporter who had taken a wrong turn in the locker room. Pedro squeezed her hand for a little too long. 
What are you doing there, Pedro? You're going to scare her away. Take a load off, Ms. McCabe, Nestor said, pulling out a chair. We're trying on some shoes that Nike sent over for Christmas. Pretty decent of them. Don't think we have your size, though, he chuckled. You'd be surprised, Kate thought, tucking her feet neatly under the chair. Kate, did you see the daffodils already coming up in the parking lot? Nestor asked. Right after the Super Bowl, I'll have my apricot beauties. They're from Holland, you know. Cost an arm and a leg. The examiner does a nice spread on them every year. Here, Pedro, you need socks with those. When Nestor turned to grab a pair of socks off his desk, Pedro mouthed hello to Kate. It felt like a wink, the footsie of it making her blush. His eyes were on her legs again, and she imagined the way her foot had fit in his hand. She wanted to legitimize it. Hey, I just bought your Corvette. But this was her job, and she would follow Pedro's lead. Sports was not a normal world. The principles of client lunches and follow-up phone calls did not apply. She could read all the books and follow them step by step, the way she lived her life. But success in this business came down to special attention. A shoebox of receipts and bare feet in an agent's office. It hit Kate then how J.P. survived, shooting from the hip. She would give nothing away to Nestor. Look at these feet, Nestor said. He stood, staring down at his own feet. Jesus had feet like these. See the gradual slope of the toes? The big toes are the longest. Perfect symmetry. Compare them to Pedro's here. He sidled up to Pedro and they stood foot to foot. Pedro a head taller. Now, he's double recessive. His second toe is longer than the big one and it's also double jointed. I'm not even in get near Reggie's. Get yourself a pedicure, he hollered at Reggie with his hands cupped over his mouth like a megaphone. He stepped over to him and slapped him on the back. You're a superstar, for God's sakes. Nike wants your feet. If they could only see them. And there was his charm, Kate thought. He made the athletes feel like the stars they were while telling them what to do. At some level, everyone wanted to be told what to do. Nestor stepped behind a sprawling desk decorated with photographs of a beautiful young woman who Kate hoped was his daughter. This is a historic moment you are all witnessing, Nestor said. Reggie has decided to sign with the San Francisco Giants. I'm about to present him with his first hat. Nestor reached under his desk and pulled out the official Giants hat and handed it to Reggie. Reggie took the hat and touched it gingerly. No outlaw in a sherbet-colored paisley shirt. Just the kid he'd been when he'd started tossing the ball around as a toddler. One in a million little boys eventually turned pro, and far fewer advanced from the farm system. The first hat would mean a lot. Kate knew that it was not lost on Reggie that Randy Nestor had given it to him. Reggie set the hat on his head and bent down the bill, the ritual of new hats. Nestor had created a bond that went beyond the agent-client relationship. Nestor stepped around the desk and landed in a chair, forming an arc around Kate like a kindergarten circle time. Okay, it's show and tell, Randy said. Ms. McCabe's going to tell us about what her firm, Sports Financial, has to offer. Nestor swung his right leg over his left, so she faced the smooth pink bottom of his right foot. He beamed at Kate. Pedro, in athletic socks and no shoes, and Reggie, barefoot in his pristine new hat, turned to her and stared. Their knees jutted out higher than their waists. Reptilian, Kate thought.
Sports Financial has an international presence, Kate began. JP always said to speak in layman's terms and to paint a picture, a paint-by-the-numbers picture, but Kate refused to insult them. We have a relationship with a hundred-year-old bank in Switzerland that has its thumb on the pulse of the international trade. Kingsley Gartmore is the founder of our company. He spent his life becoming an expert in finance. He spends the day following the markets and reading the financial papers. He will personally design your portfolio and monitor your... Let's take a break, Nestor said, standing up suddenly. Reggie, you're looking a little parched there. How about a Coke? I'm not really thirst, Reggie began, but Nestor was already on the phone. Martha, can you bring some classic Cokes in here? Martha, huh? Nestor set down the phone. She must have stepped out to the little girl's room. I'll go check. He dashed out of the room, still barefoot, the jaws of the dinosaur doors snapping closed behind him. Pedro leaned forward in his chair, elbows on knees. Save your breath, he whispered. Nestor's not giving you any business. He's just parading a bunch of advisors in front of us. Then he makes up some pros and cons about each one. Then he tells us what to do. He's already decided who he's using. He did the same thing last year. Kate was furious. It was Christmas Eve. She thought of the speech she'd memorized the closet she'd tossed before settling on the aubergine, and the interview with Barbie that she'd rushed. There was a half-eaten Big Mac sitting on the passenger seat of her car, and her mother was arriving at San Francisco International Airport in 90 minutes. Then why are you here? Kate asked. I saw your name on the schedule, Pedro grinned. I'm shopping. Kate considered storming out, but here she was with two of the top athletes in the country. Nestor had taken his comedy routine out of the room, and they were bored senseless. Their minds were presumably on the holidays, stocking stuffers and slabs of beef and Christmas Day football. Anything she could do to entertain them was giving candy to babies. Kate reached in her briefcase and passed out her business card and the sports financial brochure. Reggie flipped it open to Kingsley's dour face. He may look boring, Kate said. But trust me, you want boring. You've got plenty of people offering you excitement and spending your money, and you need an uncle looking out for you in all of this. She waved her arms. He follows the money. He doesn't spend it. All he's ever cared about is watching the investments. He doesn't even like to come out of his office. He's as cheap as they get. If you could see our office furniture. She speaks the truth, Pedro said with a grin. That bad? Reggie asked holding up the brochure, rotating it like a centerfold. A fat suit like that? Worse, Pedro said, nodding. His advice to everyone is keep it simple, Kate said, even to me on a much smaller scale. He recently told me he never liked my purse because it was too expensive for your tax bracket, and he's been warning me not to invest in the stock market right now because the bear tries to pull everyone in before bringing them down. All kinds of bears are out there, guys. You need those reminders. With all the fancy people in your life, you need that tug from the other side keeping you standing. You go with us, and when this is over, you'll have some money left. A house on the beach or on a quiet hill, you can decide. Reggie's brow was furrowed. Kate knew it was hard to think about the future when everyone in the world wanted your autograph, when David Letterman was calling but something in his face told her that he was thinking about the harder life he'd left behind not very long ago, 
and that years from now he might want a house on a quiet hill. Pedro was right. You needed something to remind you. Encouraged, Kate talked on about Kingsley Gartmore the wizard, but not the Wizard of Oz. He was accessible. As she spoke of him, she fell into a euphoria-generated, Peter the Red kind of love. A prince, she thought about saying, but drew the line there. At Sports Financial, they were all available to serve. They were friendly and flexible and would earn them top dollar. Have it your way and jingle all the way. As she was wrapping it up with the Q&A period, Reggie inquired about whether Sports Financial validated parking. Nestor returned with four long-necked bottles of classic Coke on a tray, open and breathing bubbles, with no glasses. Never drink from a long neck. Kate's mother, the divorce lawyer, had warned her. The bottle thing again, Kate thought. A booby trap more subtle than dual-control seat warmers. Kate stood. She noticed behind Nestor's desk two more baseball hats splayed on the floor. Toronto Blue Jays and New York Mets. He probably collects them at airports, she thought. Time's up, Kate said, pulling on her coat. Nestor shrank from her, the Coke bottles quivering on the tray. Make your own choice, she said to Pedro and Reggie. In the parking lot, Kate slid behind the wheel. Just then, Pedro walked up to her. The Corvette's in the mail, she told him stiffly. She needed to get on the road. Back at the office, she would send Reggie a follow-up handwritten note, then call him after the holidays. I've had about enough of agents and athletes in their dog and pony shows, she said. Sorry about that. Pedro touched the edge of the half-open window. The metallic chain that looked like a key ring chain hung under his polo shirt. The crucifix she imagined was obscured. I really did want to hear what you had to say. I think Reggie's impressed. Kate, prayed to compliments, hesitated, her hand still on the key. What about you? Were you impressed? I was wowed. Kate turned to him. He was looking straight at her, his face unshaven, his bomber jacket hanging open. He rubbed his chin nervously, and Kate noticed the wrinkles in his khakis. She doubted that the woman named Laura, the name he had uttered on the phone, lived with him, or lived with him very often. Not that women necessarily ironed, Kate thought. She couldn't iron. The creases always ended up in the wrong places. But still. Is that your happy meal? Pedro asked. As a matter of fact, it is. Ask for the sale, an annoying voice chided her. So what's it going to be, Pedro? She was still annoyed, which made the question easier. She saw him not as the superstar he was, but the man. Are you coming with us? Pedro took a step back from the car and shoved his hands in the pockets of his jacket. Is that all you can think about, this contract? He smiled. She softened a bit, but was determined to keep that professional line between them. That's my job, remember? You never seem to let me forget. Good. You have till December 31 to make up your mind. Let me know what I can do to help your decision process along. Merry Christmas. Pedro crouched down, his face in the window. Hey, what are you doing for Christmas? Kate put the car into gear. For starters, I'm picking up my mother and her boyfriend at SFO. I might try dragging her to Midnight Mass. There's a Midnight Mass at Our Lady of Fatima, Pedro said. All my family's in Argentina this year, so I'll probably go alone. Come by if you like. 
Kate glanced at his hand that rested on the window edge and saw the torn cuticles. Christmas Eve alone? The man on the cover of Sports Illustrated? Would he watch satellite TV and microwave a chicken pot pie? Kate remembered the Christmas the year her mother left her father and signed up to adopt an Air Force man who was stationed in Spokane for Christmas dinner. Should Kate and her family adopt Pedro for the holidays, too? Hi, it's Heather. Welcome back. By the way, thanks for your nice messages. I'm answering all of them, so please write me, email, Twitter, Facebook, comment on the blog, whichever way you want. I love getting your questions, too. When I went on the Gary Radnett show, he's a big-time sports anchor, in case you're not familiar with him. I was supposed to be interviewed about False Alarm, the novel, but the callers asked more about my job, what are the athletes like to work with, and at a book signing in Berkeley, a guy asked me for my opinion on the draft. It cracks me up. But that's okay, too. Okay, more on athlete frustration like I promised. So I'm terrible at disciplining, and I have to force myself to talk in a very stern librarian voice. A $300,000 car? You'll end up selling cars. Ouch. Being tough is really hard for me. I can barely bring myself to make the dogs sit before they stampede outside in the morning. You remember those those coyote packs out there lurking? I think I told you you're supposed to escort your dogs around the yard to avoid the packs that are currently rampaging in the Silicon Valley outback. So the dog trainer wants me to call the shots, for me to be the authority figure. It's not working for the dogs, but athletes eat up this type of direction— and I think my firm is really onto something here, trying to help out in this financial organization department. The idea is to get their attention. When my boss wanted me to remember something, he'd make me change seats with him, so I'd have to sit in the boss's chair. So with an athlete, I'll tell you a trick. You can stand on your desk so you're taller than they are. They won't forget. It's a great view way down, 19 floors to the financial district, a little bit of vertigo, but sort of cool. This works better than the pink post-its anyway. So um, I'll talk to you next week. Should Kate really adopt Pedro for the holidays? He certainly seems to be all alone. We'll find out. Bye for now. For more information, please go to my website, heatherstallings.com. I'd love to hear from you. Please go on iTunes and give this podcast five stars. False Alarm is available cheap on the Kindle, and Amazon sells it in paperback. Please write a review on Amazon, Smashwords, or Goodreads. Thanks again, and talk to you next week. Till soon.